is. We, I try to do this a couple times a year, uh, preparing something that will put us into the mindset of the biblical characters that lived, who saw Jesus, who heard him, who felt him, who spent time with him, understanding what they went through, and hopefully make situations like Christmas and Easter that we hear the story over and over and over again such that it becomes almost mundane to us, to hopefully bring them to life. So for this Palm Sunday, I've prepared readings by six people, allowing us to step into the lives of six different characters in the Easter story. So if I can ask those readers to come up uh, and take their place here. We'll start with the first reader, and we'll just move right where you'll be right there, Nancy, right at the end. Oh, well, I'll move your paper. That way. No, you're... I should have put names on the chairs. I appreciate these people being willing. Like always, as I've said, we are not professionals. Uh, but our heart is to share the truths of God in a way that it will affect not just the mind, but the heart. So starting with Mark, uh, there are some readers who will stay sitting because of physical difficulty. The other readers, those that can stand, I ask that they would stand, but the rest can sit. We'll start with Mark and hear his story. Hi. I really don't know why I'm up here. Um, yeah, so my name is Mark, unless you're a Jew. If you're a Jew, my name is John. I'm not trying to be weird. It's just what we do in Israel to blend into society, not make waves. We have names that we give out depending on who we are talking to. Um, I was asked to tell my story. I don't know why. My mom is Mary, though, not the Mary you were probably thinking about. We're a wealthy family. My parents own one of the larger houses in Jerusalem, and that's how I met Jesus. I had heard of him. Who in all Judea hadn't heard of him? I wanted to see him, to hear him speak. But as a young, immature, I needed to stay home. One day there was a big commotion. People were running through the streets and saying that the promised king was entering Jerusalem. I joined the crowd, wanting to see what was happening. Secretly, I was hoping something exciting like a riot or a rebellion would happen. When I finally arrived at the commotion, I did not see what I expected to see. There was a simple man riding a young donkey. People were laying their cloaks on the road or branches so that the donkey wouldn't have to step on the stones. Everyone in the procession was shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, king, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This was not my idea of a rebellion. Where were the swords? Where were the taunts? No one even spit on a Roman soldier. I walked away. I had seen people claiming to be the prophesied king, and no one was this lame. Though he really did make the priests and teachers mad, that intrigued me. From time to time, I would see him walking with his disciples or debating the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders. Though he definitely didn't act like a king, I liked what he said. One day, a group of his disciples came to our house and asked to use our upper room for Passover. That was the strangest Passover I had ever seen. Jesus seemed to be saying that the bread and the wine, 
the Passover, was pointing to himself. Then he mentions something about not drinking wine until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God. Weird. When they left, I had to follow them. They went to the Mount of Olives. When they arrived, Jesus went by himself to pray, and the rest of us fell asleep. It was late. It had been a long day. Suddenly, Jesus woke us up, saying something about being delivered into the hands of sinners and his betrayer coming. As he was walking, as he was speaking, we were surrounded by a crowd carrying swords and clubs. Judas, one of, the, one of Jesus' main disciples, was with them. And he comes up to Jesus, kissing him. I was so confused. The men seized Jesus. Another disciple, Peter, trying to defend his teacher, cuts off the ear of one of the servants. There was chaos. In the middle of the chaos, I saw that all of Jesus' disciples were running away. No one was staying with him. I didn't know what to do. Suddenly, one of the crowd grabbed me, threatening to arrest me along with Jesus. I screamed and ran away. My clothes ripped in the man's hands, but I didn't care. I left my robe in his hands and got out of there. My family is a good family. They would tell me it is shameful to run naked through the city. My nakedness is fitting, though. It showed my inner shame. I abandoned an innocent man to the hate of the religious leaders. I did nothing to stop them, but what could I do? I truly believe that he willingly let himself be arrested. He truly believed that he was the bread that would be broken and the wine that would be spilled. I didn't understand it, and so I ran in my shame. My name is Nicodemus. I am a Jew. I used to consider myself a good Jew. I knew the law. I knew the writings of Moses and the prophets, and I was respect, respected as one who gave wise and godly counsel. My knowledge and wisdom led me to join the Sanhedrin. Perhaps you're not familiar with this group. We are one of the ruling councils of Israel. Our concern was to maintain public order and mediating between the empire and the people. We taught, taught the law and answered questions about how to practically live the law in society. I was a teacher of scripture, and I was respected in the role, which is why I became so confused when I began to have questions about scripture. Well, that wasn't the confusing part. Instead of going to my colleagues on the council, I, won, I wanted to go to the traveling teacher. Jesus was his name. He was not of the Sanhedrin. He was not even of the ruling class. He was a poor man who traveled the countryside, made friends with tax collectors and prostitutes, and performed miraculous works. I was compelled to ask him my questions, but I was also scared because I knew I could be kicked off the ruling council for asking those questions. So I met with him at night to ask him my questions. However, I was not able to ask my question. After my initial greeting, he started telling me nonsense about people needing to be born again and if they wanted to see the kingdom of God. I was confused, completely confused. <clears throat> I was trying, I, I tried asking Jesus what he meant, but he spoke in these strange parables, then he said something very confusing. He said, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. 
the Son of Man. Jesus, as just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man shall be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. I left him at this point, but what was said kept running through my mind. I knew the writings of Moses. I knew what happened when my ancestors were grumbling in the wilderness. God sent poisonous snakes, and many of the people died from those snake bites. The Israelites repented, and God told Moses to bronze a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who looked at the snake on the pole would be healed and live. What in the world did Jesus mean by comparing the Son of Man to a bronze snake? Jesus' words came back to my mind. I didn't understand them, but I knew something was special about this man. Whenever my colleagues wanted to arrest him, I tried to calm them down and speak reason, which worked until it didn't. One night, right after Passover, I was woken up by my servants and told that, there was, and told that the Sanhedrin had been called to judge someone who was blaspheming God and starting riots against Rome. I hurried to the chamber. I saw Jesus standing there. His clothes were dirty. His face was red from being slapped. Men started accusing him of doing horrible things, saying things that were worthy of death, according to the law of Moses. I knew that these things were not true, but I was too scared to say anything. I didn't want to be killed along with Jesus, so I stood and watched as they accused him. They spat on him, and they pounded him. I numbly followed my colleagues from the council chamber to Pilate's palace where Jesus was put on trial. I stood, by my, I stood by as my friends influenced the crowd to call for the murderer's release and Jesus' death. I stood there as Jesus was flogged, a crown of thorns placed on his head, and a wooden beam flung over his shoulders. I followed the crowd to the hill of Golgotha where Jesus was nailed to the cross. Then he was raised into the sky, and I understood. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man had been lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. He died, he died for me, even though I would not acknowledge him. He was lifted up for me. They call me a murderer and an insurrectionist. But I say that I'm a liberator. These Romans are destroying our nation. I don't blame them because they just are doing what Romans do. They're like a dog with rabies. They just do what they do, and then they get shot. I blame our leaders for having weak spines and not standing up for our national identity, for not shooting that rabid dog. So since our leaders are not doing anything, I have to take matters into my own hands, and I did. I became a leader of a band of resistance fighters. We started out as simple robbers, focusing on Romans and weak Jewish leaders. Then we began to be more ambitious and we developed a reputation. People started saying that I was the Messiah. What a fairy tale. If there was a Messiah, he would have come before now. He would not have allowed our nation to be in the state that it is, slaves to an ungodly emperor. No, I don't believe in a Messiah, but if that delusion helps my cause, let them think it. The nature of my work demands mystery, so I became known as the Son of the Father, Barabbas in my language. Whenever my name was mentioned, people would get scared. No one could stop us, until they did. We planned an operation to overthrow a Roman outpost in Jerusalem. We killed a man, a Roman. 
Some of my band were killed and some were thrown into prison. I was arrested to be an example to other insurrectionists, and I knew what that meant. Crucifixion. The rabid dogs, the Romans, they saved crucifixion for their most special criminals like me. They wanted everyone to know how much they detested criminals and insurrectionists. And they thought that if the people saw the torture, they would think twice about following in my footsteps. Little did they know that crucifixion only fuels the fire of my followers. Have you seen a crucifixion? The victim is tortured by flogging. Sometimes their eyes are burned out, along with all sorts of other painful tortures. When they can barely walk, they're forced to carry their crossbeam to the place of crucifixion. There their wrists and heels are nailed to the cross, and they are raised up a few feet off the ground, just high enough that they can't support their own weight, but not too high as to prevent dogs and wild animals from chewing on their legs. It was a slow and painful death of suffocation and heart failure. But I was ready for it. When I began this life, I knew my, this would be my end. I welcomed it as a rallying point for my followers. Perhaps my death would be the start of the overthrow of Rome. But then I was released. I was brought out of my cell and forced to stand in front of a man who didn't look like a man anymore. His back was ripped apart from flogging and a th crown of thorns was pounded onto his head and there was blood running down his face. Pilate asked the crowd who they wanted to be released in honor of the Passover, me or this man called Jesus. I was known as the Son of the Father. He was known as the Son of God. I brought death and destruction, and he taught peace with God and man. Pilate asked the crowd who they wanted to be released, and they yelled my name for some reason. Numbly, I felt the guards release my shackles, and I was led out of Pilate's courtroom. As I walked out, I looked backward at Jesus, and I knew the injustice. I had deserved to die. He didn't. My death would have meant something. It could have started a revolt, but his was just a wasted life. As I breathed the air of freedom, I realized that I liked life too much. Though Jesus shouldn't have had to go through the torture of crucifixion, I was willing to have him take my punishment on himself. I could live another day because of him. Rest in peace, Jesus. May your death be quicker than normal. My name is John. My brother, his name's James. My father is Zebedee. My mother is Salome. Now you know my family. I say this because family is important to me. I grew up on my dad's fishing boat, learning the family trade with my brother. We stuck together. We always did everything together. It was a good life, but even in that good life, something was missing. One day, James and I were in our boat after fishing a few days, uh, and we were mending our nets. Our nets always got torn. It's part of the fishing that I don't like. I like going out on the boat. I like casting the net. I hate mending the net. Did I say that? I hate mending nets. Hate it. Well, back to what I was saying. We were mending our nets on our boat when, our, when a man comes up to us. He's, been the, he's the man who's been teaching all those strange things, discounting a lot of what we've been taught in the synagogue. And a strange thing happened on my friend's boat, Peter, when, on Peter's boat when this man was on it. They had a horrible night of fishing, Peter and his brother Andrew did, and this man told them to put down their nets in the deep water. And they caught so much fish that their nets began to break. I was happy for them, it's a bunch of fish, but then they asked me to help mend their nets. 
and I hate mending nets. Did I say that to you before? I wasn't happy after that. After a few hours of mending nets, I started getting angry at the smallest of things. I was not happy that day. But that's in the past. That's in the past. Back to what I was saying. This man came up to James and me and said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. We looked at him, and we had no idea what he meant. But anything's better than mending nets. If James was still alive, he would tell you that this man intrigued us. He itched a spiritual something inside of our souls. But between the two of us, I'm definitely the more vocal one. He's the more spiritual one. Uh, I'm not vocal like my friend Peter. That guy's definitely more vocal than I am. But James, James is the more spiritual one. It might help that he was my older brother. We could hold our own in a yelling match. No one wanted to be, get Zebedee's sons angry. No, yeah, no one wanted to get Zebedee's sons angry. This man, Jesus, he gave us a nickname, Sons of Thunder, because of our anger. The slightest thing would tip our anger off, from mending nets to threatening one of our own, which brings me to the worst day of my life. It was the time of the Passover, and after sharing a meal together, when Jesus again tried to teach us about lovingly serving each other, he led us to a favorite garden of his on the Mount of Olives. As he normally did, he removed himself to pray. But this day was different. He asked Peter, James, and I to join him. He said that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he asked us to stay and watch with him. And then he began to pray passionately. Peter, James, and I were not used to all-night prayer meetings, so we fell asleep really quickly. And after being woken up several times, Jesus said that his betrayer was coming. We didn't know what that meant, but we soon found out. Men with clubs and swords surrounded us. All the rest of the disciples ran away, including my brother James, the spiritual one. Peter and I hid, and then we followed Jesus from a distance. I needed to know what was going on. Jesus said that we shouldn't fight for him, but I sure wasn't going to give up protecting my own. I followed Jesus to the high priest's house, to the Sanhedrin's council, to Pilate's courtroom, and finally to Golgotha, where they were going to crucify him. I couldn't understand what was going on. This was the man who taught his followers to be servants, that his followers would be known by how they loved each other. Why would this man have to die. I stood there not knowing what to do as they pounded the nails into his hands and feet. As I think about it, I can still hear his screams and his bones popping as the cross is raised to the sky. But even in his agony, he still showed love. He asked God to forgive the Roman soldiers who were committing these senseless crimes against him. He looked at me, the son of thunder, and, and asked me to lovingly care for his mother. And then he died. As I stood there looking at his dead body on the cross, I really wanted to mend nets. I would rather be doing anything than watching my best friend die. But as I saw him hanging there, I understood. Greater love has no one than this. than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He died for me. My life is his. My love 
is his. My name is Mary. I'm nothing except that God chose me to carry his son. What a privilege. I did not know what I agreed to when Gabriel told me the news 34 years ago. I was just a young girl. I had heard the stories and the prophecies, how a Messiah would come to redeem his people. I didn't know what that meant. But I was honored to be chosen, and I told him, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled, to me be fulfilled. I knew that my life would be hard at first. Most of my family and friends would think that I had been unfaithful and that this child was Ill illegitimate. I wasn't even sure if Joseph would continue the betrothal. God was faithful, and Joseph believed me. You know the story. Everyone around here knows the story of the birth. Once Jesus was born, I thought that my emotional pain would stop. Yes, raising a child is hard. He wasn't challenging with behavior. He was challenging because he was different. He always wanted to spend time listening to scripture. One day he ran away when we were all in Jerusalem. And after several days, we found him in the temple. He said he had to be about his father's business. We didn't understand at the time, and Joseph and I yelled at him. When he grew up, he became more and more divisive. He began to teach crazy things and spend time with those whom good people would never spend time with. People like prostitutes and tax collectors, people had come demon-possessed, lepers and beggars. Religious leaders began accusing him of being demon-possessed himself. Others thought he was going crazy. Out of concern, I went with his brothers to where he was teaching. They told me there that he could not even eat because of the crowd around him, and I was convinced that he was out of his mind. I sent someone into the house to say that we were outside waiting, and he answers, Who are my mother and brothers? He pointed to those around him and said that they were his mother and brothers. I didn't know what to think. I knew that he was supposed to be the Messiah. I knew that he was going, doing the miracles of the Messiah, but he didn't seem to be leading a group to redeem his people. I didn't understand, but I trusted God. And then Passover came, and I heard that the chief priests had arrested Jesus. The other ladies brought me to Pilate's courtroom, and I stood outside in the courtyard and listened to the angry crowd. I heard the cries for my son's death, and I listened to his screams as he was flogged. And then they let him out, and I couldn't believe my eyes. My son, my son barely alive, dragging his crossbeam on his torn back. Can you imagine my pain in seeing his pain? I almost collapsed, but Mary and Salome supported me. We followed him slowly. Through the streets of Jerusalem, we saw him collapse, and the soldiers brutally whipped him again and again and again. Finally, they asked someone from the crowd to carry the cross, and we finally made it to Golgotha. I can't describe what happened next. I stood there, aghast at the scene before me. No mother expects their child to die right before them. No mother should see their child die in front of them, especially in that way. I saw his agony. I, I heard his thirst. I vaguely heard him asking John to take care of me, calling me his mother. 
I looked it up at him, and I heard him say, it is finished. And I knew he had died. I was already unnaturally dark in the middle of the day. A massive earthquake hit, opening up bomb, uh, tombs throughout the area. All I could think about was my son, my firstborn son, gone. Jesus and his mother, G John and his mother held me as we watched Jesus' body hanging, lifeless, on the cross. God, I trusted you to lead my son. He said that he had accomplished something while he was hanging on the cross. But, but what was it? I am Salome. I'm the mother of James and John. Let me tell you, they were a handful growing up. They were always getting in trouble, always getting into arguments. Then they started to follow Jesus, and their lives changed. They began to care for people. Sure, they had their moments, like when they wanted to call down fire from heaven on a Samaritan village, but I could see their change. A mother can see those things. I started following Jesus along with several other women. We provided food and kept their clothes in good repair. Someone needed to do it. But we also listened. As I listened, I heard things I'd never heard before. I began to understand what the kingdom of God was and what was expected those who followed God. I knew that Jesus was a son of God sent to usher in with the promises what the prophets had foretold in times gone by. I got excited. I knew that my sons were in Jesus' inner circle, so I thought, that as a good Jewish mother, I should help them out. I approached Jesus with them and asked Jesus if my sons could sit on his right and on his left in his com in coming kingdom. He said that I didn't know what I was asking. Then he turned to James and John and asked them if they could drink the cup that he was going to drink. They said they could, but then he replied that he couldn't promise them those positions of authority. Only his father could give out those positions. I understood, but I didn't fully understand the significance of that conversation until the following week. We followed Jesus into Jerusalem. The crowds were flocking around him, calling him King and Messiah. I knew the time was close when he would step onto his throne and usher in his kingdom. And then the sky fell. We were rudely awakened by the news that Jesus had been arrested. We rushed to Pilate's courtroom and met up with my son John. He told us everything that had happened. I couldn't believe my eyes and ears. What about the coming kingdom? I believed he was the Messiah. 
Were we wrong? We followed the crowd to Golgotha. I watched the horrible scene as I watched others happen. But the other crucifixions hadn't involved the Messiah, the one I followed for the past three years, the one whose cup my sons had promised to drink. As I stood there next to Jesus' mother and my son, a horrible realization came over me. That was the cup. My sons were going to die because they were followers of Jesus. They were going to die a brutal death. I heard Mary shriek for her son beside me, and I didn't know if I could go through it. What worth is a man who promises what he promised, but only delivers death and destruction to his, to his followers? After Jesus' death, my sons and the rest of the disciples went into hiding. Joseph and Nicodemus arranged for Jesus' burial. Mary Magdalene, some of the other ladies, and I made a plan to anoint his body after the Sabbath. Early Sunday morning, we snuck out of town and went to the tomb. We knew soldiers would be there to guard and make sure no one stole the body. We hoped they would open up the tomb for us. But then we arrived, and we couldn't believe our eyes. The stone had been rolled away, and all the guards were gone. The tomb was empty. And the angel appeared and told us that Jesus was not there. He was alive. He had come to redeem. As the prophet said, after he has suffered, he will see the light of day and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Following him might bring pain in this life, but it would also bring an eternity of joy. So, I will follow him, come what may. Let's give them all a hand. Sometimes reading the stories, we don't quite step into the, the pain and the hardship of those who have followed Jesus, their confusion. But I'm grateful that the stories have been written down for us, that we can read them. And when we take the time, we can step in and understand and through the understanding, hopefully, reflect on what an amaz amazing thing it is that the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe hung on a cross for us, that we might know him, and that we might, though we might have pain in this life following him, we might have an eternity of joy. And that is truly an amazing Amazing truth they hope everyone here has accepted for themselves that you are followers of Jesus Christ as well. So you can have the joy that we have.
the joy and the hope that we proclaim at this Easter season. Will you pray with me as David comes up to lead us in the last song? Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, thank you for looking down with love on us and sending your Son to live among us, to know our pain and our sorrow, and to die our miserable death, that we might have a relationship with you and have an eternity of joy. Lord, the gift that you have given is we can't fathom it. We don't understand it, but thank you for showing your love, for proving your love to us and giving us a salvation that we do not have to earn, but it's something we just have to accept, turning to you in faith and saying, I follow you and I trust you alone. Lord, thank you for this gift. And I ask that this week, this gift would be on our tongues and our lips that the world around us would know that you are our king and our savior. You are our love, and they would want that as well. Thanks, Father. Amen. Stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 331. 331, Room at the Cross for You. <laughs> 